Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Overtime Buzz podcast. We're bringing you that promised and well-looked-for trade deadline recap. Oh, man. You know, for the talk of it not being much of a trade deadline, it was more than we all expected, I think, but it certainly wasn't much of anything in comparison to years past. A lot of teams getting ripped off and uh, some actually really, really solid trades around the league. Um, we'll get into that here in a minute, but first, Dante, how have you been? It's been about a week and a half. The trade deadline is coming past, and uh, well, there was a little bit of movement today. Yeah, uh, all's been well here. Um, you know, obviously with the Penguins going on, everything's looking good there. Putting together a couple good stretches here. I'm sure we'll talk about that later too. But um, a lot of activity today on deadline day. I know it wasn't really expected with everything going on with the COVID nineteen situation, but. You know, like you said, especially late last night, too, we saw about uh, like three or four trades. And then um, there was a big couple big deals days leading up to the deadline as well. So um, exciting entertainment today for us. A lot of trades trickling in kind of after the three o'clock deadline. Um, the queue was pretty jam packed there at the end. So um, a lot of interesting trades, like you mentioned, a lot of, you know, a couple maybe lopsided deals, but. Um, you know, excited to talk about it. Excited to look forward here to the next month or so here, uh, the home stretch as we head into the playoffs. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you mentioned those um, kind of like pre-deadline deals, the ones that were yeah four or five days ago. Um, you know, as far back, Mark Savard or not Mark David Savard uh, was the first domino to fall from Columbus to Tampa. Uh, he get Columbus got a first and a third for him. Um, a guy that's, I don't think he's ever put up more than 35 points in a season. Um, pretty much a defensive defenseman. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, he was like top two on the TSN trade bait list. And I guess I, I don't really understand it, but at the same time, good for him. Good for Columbus, you know, first and a third. Granted, that first from Tampa is probably going to be in the 26 to 32 range or 31 range. So mm-hmm. um, I guess it will be 32 this year, Seattle. So yeah. Um, yeah, it's going to be, you know, late first. And uh, Nick Foligno uh, was also moved from Columbus to Toronto for a first and a fourth. Both deals had a little bit of laundering through Detroit and San Jose. Um, had to eat some cap. But <laughs> for Columbus to get two firsts out of a third liner at best at a maybe second pairing defenseman, mm-hmm. I, yeah, that's crazy to me. Kekalainen went off. Yeah, and I think something, too, that is kind of interesting with a lot of the trades that happened today is a lot of them are within the divisions. I mean, I know these are just temporary, like the Columbus and Toronto hooked up on a deal. Columbus and Tampa Bay hooked up on a deal. I mean, those are teams right there that play within their own division. And, and I know there's a lot of other um, examples of this, too. And I know Columbus won't be in the division with Tampa Bay and Toronto after the season, but I thought I thought that was kind of interesting, too. And um, I thought maybe it might jack up the prices because that's typically what you see for divisional trades. But, um, but yeah, back to your point. I mean, I think Columbus did really well in both of the trades. Um, Toronto's end, I get it. I mean, I, I understand that's kind of the type of player that they want to add to their kind of lineup. But um, a first-round pick for Nick for that is a really steep price. Um, like you mentioned, probably a third-liner at best. And... He's going to be purely a rental. I, I don't see him signing back in Toronto. Uh, he's honestly probably just going to go back to Columbus. And I think Toronto even knew that coming in 
and they still gave up the first round pick, which if they don't win the cup this year, that's going to be a tough give um, or, uh, you know, tough for them to give that asset up. But um, I I know a lot of people are talking about how he is going to bring a lot of leadership and um, playoff experience to the Maple Leafs, and it might be something that they needed. But I, I honestly, and this is nothing against him, but I, I just honestly don't get it. Um, not saying he's not a leader, not saying he's not a great guy for the locker room, but when it comes to a team like Toronto, who has yet to really make a name for itself and make any noise in the playoffs, I just don't see how adding a guy like Nick Foligno does anything or, you know, it it, it, it moves the needle as much as everybody's saying, because quite frankly, I, he has really done nothing with his teams in the playoffs, whatever he gets in. I think he's made it out of the first round. I know he did. He made it through the play-in round last year. Um, Columbus won the first round the year before that. I can't remember if he went further than the first round with Ottawa when he was with the Senators, but I, I just, I, I don't get it. I know a lot of it might just be the Canadian media trying to pump things up, but that, that was really head scratching for me. I needed to point that out. And then with Tampa Bay, I mean, the rich just get richer. Um, obviously the first round pick, like you mentioned, is going to be a late first. So Tampa Bay is not going to really, you know, feel the effects of that one. Plus they're going for the back to back third time. The wins now. Um, you know, they're really lethal. They're going to get Cooch uh, back for the playoffs. And I don't know. They're going to be pretty dangerous. And I know a lot of people like Florida in that division. And Carolina looks pretty good. But I think Tampa Bay is going to be the one that ends up at the top there when all is said and done. So um, what, what about you? What are your thoughts? You know, it's like you said when we were talking about the Savard trade. Um, Tampa's just kind of feeding off that uh, Kucherov LTIR money. Um that's a that's a rule that I think you had you had mentioned it to me that it's a rule that really needs changed um, because being able to take what like eight million dollars in Kucherov's owed and just take it off the books until playoffs mm-hmm. and then come playoffs when the cap doesn't matter I mean come on like you got Tampa who's essentially now nine million dollars over the cap mm-hmm. how's that fair. And, and like it's not it's nothing against Tampa or, or a, a whole thing of like oh like I don't want them to go back to back no I mean if they do good for them I mean I like a lot of the guys on that team but I mean come on that, that it's totally unfair in a totally different playing field now granted the Penguins have Malkin on LTIR they have um, Tanev on LTIR so that's twelve million dollars right there they could have done something very similar but one we don't have the assets to do it and two. There's not really a sense in it. Tampa's young enough, and they have pieces that are able to keep that window open longer. Um, you know, our big guys are a little bit older, you know, and we all know that the time is coming eventually. So, um, yeah, I don't know. The Savard trade for me, um, it's just it's frustrating. The whole cap situation, the way that the LTIR works. I mean, granted, it's a rule that every team can use. So um, until it's changed, it's there, but. Yeah, that trade, like you said, the rich get richer. That's about the best way to say it. And the Felino trade for me, um, you know, it, I, I get that it's leadership. It is. It's, sure. Great captain, great locker room guy. He's a third liner at best. He's probably going to play on the fourth line. Um, you got leaders all around that locker room. I mean, you got John Tavares, you got Jason Spezza, two former, you know, a cat, their captain and a former captain. Um, and then you get guys on defense like Morgan Riley that have been around um, Freddie Anderson. You know, these guys, there's leadership all throughout that locker room. I mean, I get that they need an identity, but if you can't get an identity with John Tavares, Jason Spezza, and Morgan Riley on your team, heck, even what, uh, T- is it TJ Brody's on the team now? 
Yeah, he is. Yeah, and, and TJ Brody, come on. Like, you got four guys that are, have either worn a letter on their sweater or currently wear a letter on their sweater. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on. <laughs> you have to have some sort of character, and if you can't develop it from that, then, you know, I, I don't really know what else is going to help. Maybe Felino's what they need, but I don't think so. Um, yeah, those, those trades to me, they just didn't really make a whole lot of sense um, for in terms of the Felino trade, it didn't make sense to go to Toronto. I thought he would go somewhere different. Um, where, I don't know. Um, but again, he is a rental. He's not going to sign there. Uh, he'll go back to Columbus. I can almost guarantee that. So um, yeah. anything else you want to add to those? You want to move on to uh, one trade from late last night? Yeah. Um, just back to the Tampa Bay situation you mentioned with the cap. I, I think something that I hope isn't going to be something that comes – becomes like more popular throughout the league is I was actually watching a Tampa Bay game one night and I saw that they were playing a, sh- a forward short and I was like hmm, that's weird you know maybe they just decided to go with 7d because teams do that from time to time but it was actually because they needed to scratch a forward because they were over the cap and in order to be cap compliant they had to sit a guy just you know just had to get a guy out of the lineup and probably still one too, didn't they? Yeah, and that that's my point. When when you have a team that's as good as Tampa Bay, even without arguably one of their uh, well, obviously one of their better players, but um, without Cooch, uh, I mean, it, it almost becomes unfair. And I, and I think it's something that I definitely don't want to see in the league moving forward. I think Vegas has done the same thing too this year, if I'm not mistaken. But I, I noticed for sure it was Tampa Bay. And I just hope that in the future we don't see teams kind of take that kind of approach and then just abuse the system in the end where, um, you know, come playoff time, there's no salary cap. Whereas, you know, maybe they'll sit a couple guys during the regular season. They know that they'll be able in the playoffs. They know they have a good enough team to kind of be a three-man or a three-line unit or whatever um, to get there. And then once they get there, they can just go full go. So that's just something I wanted to add. Yeah. Um it's definitely a rule that needs revisited, especially watching what's happening in Tampa. Um, but, you know, quick little break or pause here in the trade deadline. Speaking of guys coming off LTIR, there was an update out of Dallas that Ben Bishop and Tyler Sagan should make it back for the end of the regular season. Um, don't know if they'll make the playoffs. Dallas is pretty far down in that division right now, but um, those two guys coming back could be just what they need. They kind of stood pat at the deadline, so... Um, the only main thing was the waiver claim pickup of Sammy Batten and um, kind of a head scratcher there trying to put Batten in your waivers. But um, yeah, I, you know, I, th- another... I think they're still feeling the effects from the bubble, to be honest. Um, I would agree. Run. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Pavelski's been really good, but um, also it, I, I, I will say in their defense, not having your clearly best goaltender, a guy who was a Vesna finalist for two straight years, Bent Bishop, or your best player in Tyler Sagan does not help. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I totally agree. Yeah. You know, and Rupe Hintz has been hurt pretty much the entire year. Haskin has not been that great this year. Um, you know, off year, but I think Dallas is a team that come next year. Sagan and Bishop will be fully healthy. They'll just be back to a kind of a wagon style team again. Um, yeah. They, they, I think a long break is going to do them well, um, especially coming off the bubble where they went pretty deep. So um, yep. if they, if, Obviously, they're on the outside looking in right now, so I, I do think that the long break would get them recharged, ready to go for next year. 
agreed. And they have some older guys, you know, Radulov, Pavelski, um, even Jamie Benn, a little bit older, um, Hudobin, if he stays, you know, those guys could use a nice long offseason. Last year was was wild. You know, you had the layoff, play until the September, October, and you're back in January. So um, certainly it was very different. Um, I guess following the timeline, uh, Victor Mete was also tried to be put through waivers. Um, yeah, that was a failure. Ottawa claimed him from Montreal. Um, like, what is he, 24? Pretty solid upside guy. Um, That's the best waiver claim you'll probably see, I mean. Ever? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> borderline I mean, that, top four defensive potential, cheap. Yeah. Like you said, like 23, 24 years old. I mean, it, it doesn't, they made it pretty easy for Ottawa there. Yeah, Ottawa didn't have a whole lot of work there on that one. So, uh, yeah, that one was certainly a head scratcher. Um, both Vatten and Emete were claimed very quickly. Um, yeah, that one, those guys weren't going to make it through. But um, anyways, moving on to late last night, we had uh, the big fish, uh, or as we like to say, the most overrated player in the league. Taylor Hall moved from Buffalo to Boston. Um, Curtis Lazar and Taylor Hall were moved to Boston for Anders Bjork and a second-round pick. Uh, Buffalo ate half of Hall's salary. Boston's only on the books for Hall's $4 million. Um, getting a player like that for $4 million, can't really complain, but you know, you and I are of the same mind that we don't really think Taylor Hall is that good. Um, never really was the play-driving, dominant first overall pick that he was hyped up to be. He had a couple really good years. That one year in New Jersey, um, he had a really, really good team around him. Um, just like the perfect players, so uh, I don't really know how he fits in Boston, but, you know, it's it's certainly a bit of a an interesting move. You know, Boston kind of showing some desperation by picking up Taylor Hall. Um, they're a team that they're kind of struggling to score right now, which you wouldn't expect. But, you know, maybe Hall's what they need. Maybe putting putting him with somebody like Krejci would help or, you know, on Bergeron's line. Not that you would have break that one up. But, yeah, um, what do you think of that trade? It doesn't make a lot of sense to me for the same reasons as you. Um, obviously, well, first and foremost, Buffalo. I mean, <laughs> nothing against Anders Bjork. You know, he's, he's a fine prospect. He'll probably be a great uh, bottom six player in the league. But to get only him in a second round pick, that's probably going to be in the 20s, maybe mid-20s. I mean, man, that that's that's tough. And uh, you got to just... You have to feel for the people of Buffalo, the fans, but and Jack Eichel, come on now. Yeah, he's probably he he'll probably be going in the summer. I'd I'd, I'd say, but um, I hope. Poor guy. Yeah, but yeah, it doesn't really make a lot of sense for me stylistically. But in terms of need, obviously they they've been kind of a one line team for a while now. They're pretty banged up right now. They I think their entire top four defense is out right now, um, with injury. Um, obviously needed depth scoring, but I, I just, like you mentioned, I, I don't know if Taylor Hall is the guy for them for, for, you know, all the reasons that we've seen throughout his career so far, where he's kind of been an underachiever for the most part outside of that, um, heart trophy season with the devils when, like you mentioned, they had a good team around them and pretty much everyone on that team, uh, overachieved that year. I mean, I, I don't think anyone expected, if I recall much from that team that year and they surprised everyone by making the playoffs, but, um, I, I don't know. It definitely reeks de- desperation. Um, I, I did like their move to get my, uh, Mike Riley though. I think Mike Riley would be a good addition for them in terms of, of the two. Um, and then, you know, we talked about it today. 
kept talking about how Taylor Hall was the big fish to come off the market. And a lot of the times, teams that make the trades get the big fish at the market at the trade deadline and it ends up not working out for them in the long run. So we have to factor that in as well. Um, but if you're Taylor Hall, I, I think this is it for you, really. Um, so we'll see what he does. Kind of like a, I guess, kind of like a Matt Duchesne kind of situation where, you know, he, he was in Colorado forever, wanted to get a taste of the playoffs, so they trade him to Ottawa, which is, which is, which is really uh, convenient. They're now at Colorado. It's just an absolute wagon now, and Ottawa kind of fell off the face of the earth. But um, he gets traded to Columbus, gets his chance, gets in the playoffs. They went around. Um, I, I think that's kind of where Taylor Hall is at right now, where, you know, this is kind of his shot. Like, hey, okay, you wanted this. You wanted to play meaningful hockey, like he said before the season. So let, let's see what you got. So um, I, I think this is kind of his last, I guess, hoorah, if you might say. Um, he's on a good team. He's on a contender. They're probably going to make the playoffs with Philly stumbling and the Rangers kind of behind from their slow start to the season. So uh, we'll see. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, I honestly don't know. I, I, don't, I don't think this trade's going to be good in the long run for them. Um, he might sign an extension there. I, I, I don't know. I, I just think it's a weird fit. He just doesn't doesn't seem like the kind of player that Boston would have. So um, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I I don't think he fits that Boston system. Um, the Boston system really has a lot to do with physicality and being able to play a heavy game. And I don't think Taylor Hall can play that way. Um, certainly, it's great to get the big name, but we've seen instances like. Um, cough cough Derek Broussard uh, it just doesn't work out stylistically and fit wise it didn't make sense it it made sense on paper but it didn't make sense when it happened um you know like you said the Duchesne thing I mean it it's really his last chance I mean he went you know he was pretty solid with Edmonton went to the Devils had an MVP year got moved to Arizona for a ton didn't do anything in Arizona and then goes to Buffalo has two goals. I mean, Colton Sevier has five goals. A guy who just cleared waivers <laughs> twice. Hey. He cleared waivers twice, and he has over <laughs> double the goals that Taylor Hall does. Heck, Tricks I mean, and Jari's got more points than he has goals. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, I, I can't stress enough that I truly do not think he's as good as many people do. Um, Sure. Like I said, maybe going to Boston, it's reinvigorating. He's on a winning team. He's never really been on a team that was guaranteed to make the playoffs. Now, Boston at this point might not be guaranteed to make the playoffs, but um, I don't think he would resign there. I truly, as, as crazy as it sounds, could see him signing somewhere like either Minnesota or Carolina um, because I don't think a contender is going to want to pay him eight, nine million dollars, which is what he's going to want. Um, because he doesn't produce like eight, nine million dollars, but a team like Minnesota that could use the big name and the potential production mm -hmm. to go along with Kaprizov and potentially, you know, uh, a center that gets brought in, you know, in free agency or Carolina to throw him on Natchez's line or something. Um, he could go to a team like that and certainly he could thrive. It could be a really good fit, but I, I just don't think this trade made that much sense. Um, Good for good for Buffalo, you know. Took a flyer, at least got something, um, but certainly not as much as they should have. Uh, the next trade we'll go over here. If you're good with the Hall trade, there, uh, Sam Bennett, your boy, uh, the one that 
you were hoping would come to the Penguins for probably two years now. Um, yep. Got moved to Florida in one of the more one-sided deals of the day. Yeah. Um, Florida sent a second-round pick this year, and their pick from last year that they made in the second round, their prospect to Calgary. I think Calgary wins that trade pretty easily, even if Bennett plays well. It's basically two seconds for a guy that's not lived up to his potential at all. Yep. Um, yeah, it's kind of a head-scratcher for Florida with how many moves they made, how many changes they made. But mm-hmm. um, what do you think of the return for Calgary? I mean, come on, that's that's yeah. much better than I thought they'd get for Bennett. Yeah. And certainly the Penguins were not going to give them that much. Yeah, I mean, especially considering how the situation kind of, I guess, tanked earlier in the season where – did he request a trade? He didn't request a trade. You know, it, everything's got a little messy there. Um, Calgary has to be just absolutely, you know, just ecstatic with, with the return they're able to get. I mean, I know they waste or spent a top five pick on him a couple years ago. And watching their uh, GM's comments talk about how, you know, he means a lot to the team and he likes him as a person and stuff. Obviously, this, this stuff's never easy, especially when you're trading someone, you're uprooting someone's life. But... Um, to get essentially two second round picks for a guy that what isn't producing didn't live up to the hype, and you have it, you've been made it known to the league that he doesn't want to be there, and you probably don't see him fitting there in the long run. Um, absolutely a win, and, and like you mentioned with Florida, I don't I don't know. I mean, I think they had a good thing going there. I understand wanting to add, um, you know wanting to capitalize on something but i don't know that you know they bring in a lot of guys here at the deadline and i just don't understand why um because then you get into the the topic of you know are you disrupting excuse me disrupting the chemistry with the team and i don't know it it just seems like they're adding too much at one time and like you mentioned you know it's kind of head scratching but um exciting time down in florida though but in terms of the return absolutely calgary Got to be ecstatic. Got to be absolutely thrilled with what they were able to get for Sam Bennett, I'd say. And like you mentioned, I I would have loved to see the Penguins get him. I think he'd be a great third third line center here. Um, fit, definitely fits the bill of what Brian Burke would want. It's definitely, and he's connected to Brian Burke from his time in Calgary too. But um, like you mentioned, we just Penguins didn't have the assets, nor would they probably be willing to part with those kind of assets. So um, it's a win for the Flames. I think it's a big question mark for the Panthers. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the question mark is certainly there, and certainly Bennett's got the potential to be really good there. But um, to give up a guy, you know, that you just picked in the second round last year, which certainly carries a pedigree unto itself, but mm-hmm. then your second rounder this year, which heck, if you don't make it out of that playing round, that's like a mid second round pick, which those guys tend to pan out pretty well, um, or at least have the opportunity to do so. Um, yeah, it's kind of a weird deal for me, but it's just, it's great for Calgary. I think they really did do a terrible job with handling the situation, but then getting a really good return. They kind of like contradicted themselves. They did, they, they handled the situation horribly, but then got a very good return. So, um, good for Bennett, fresh start, getting himself into a, a place, you know, uh, no tax. It's nice. Get your full salary there, but. Um, yeah, I, I don't. I don't think it's going to work out as well for Florida as it looks to do. Um, and then our second to last trade that we're going to go over here, um, 
certainly the most lopsided deal of the day. Came in about 45 minutes after the deadline. Uh, it was pretty far down in the queue. Anthony Mantha to the Washington Capitals. Now, when the first little bit of the package was announced, Richard Ponick's name came first. So you kind of started thinking Washington had a really good deal going. But then it went to Ponick and Vrana and Picks, which was a first and a second rounder. Stevie Y needs to be arrested, thrown in jail, and locked up for theft. That's just absurd. Vrana was good enough to get Mantha one for one. And you got yourself a third line winger and a first and second round pick. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Wow. I couldn't help but get E-Rat for Forsberg flashbacks from this one. Um, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I mean, I, that's that's accurate. I mean, come on. And I mean, I, th- I think Mantha's going to be good in Washington. I think he fits their kind of... Uh, their hybrid power forward slash scoring forward kind of style. Like, I think he's going to be good stylistically there. But when you look at what they gave up, I mean, like you mentioned, Richard Ponick, I mean, not the greatest, you know, probably a third, fourth liner at best. Um, Still a decent role player, though. So you look at that, you're like, okay, that's fine. Then you get the second piece where you say, oh, they included Verona. And I was like, whoa, hold on a second, what? So So they included Verona, and then like you mentioned, Mantha for Verona one for one, I I think that's a fair trade right there. And honestly, I I, I think I would still take Verona over Mantha at that point. But um, especially with the season he's having, and I know whenever they've played the Penguins, we've kind of seen how lethal his shot can be and how he's really coming into his own as a player. Um, especially this year, where coming into the season, I kind of I labeled him specifically as a question mark as to why I thought the Capitals might fall out of the playoffs. I didn't know if you know, he'd be able to keep pace and be a guy that they can rely on game in and game out. I guess they didn't think the same either, but, um, and then five to 10 minutes later, like you mentioned, you get the fact that they added a first and a second round pick. I mean, wow, that that's a lot to give up. It's probably because Verona, I think, is he RFA this year or next year? I think, I think it's this I year. I think it's this year. And then Mantha just signed that extension five years, like $5 million a year, I think. So you have to imagine that's why Washington had to give up the extra picks as well. But, man, if that trade, if Mantha flops in Washington, that's that's a trade that you can look back on and that, that they can get somebody fired. Like, <laughs> that's just how, how bad I think it could get because you give up potential top six forward, you give away a depth piece, and then you also add the fact that you traded in the first and the second. I mean, wow. You know, same situation with Florida. If they don't make it out of this, you know, I, I hate to call it a playing round, but this first round, you know, in the the in-division four-team playoff rounds, mm-hmm. that's a 15 to 20 pick in the draft. Now, granted, this draft's not that good. Um, 15 to 20 is not really going to get you any impact players like last year's draft, but you're still giving up a mid-first and a mid-second rounder plus a 30-goal scorer and a depth piece for okay, Mantha could score 20 to 25 goals, but he's not going to put up more than like 50 points. When you look at this trade from a different kind of sp- scope, I mean, look at the Penguins, for example. The Penguins and the Capitals, the core, you know, their ages are pretty much similar. Um, 
Ovi's a little bit older than Sid. Backstrom's a little bit younger than Sid. You know, it kind of evens out. So they're pretty much on the same timeline here. And the recent moves that the Penguins have made in the past where they're giving up assets, yes, they're giving up the first-round picks. They gave up a first-round pick for Jason Zucker. Um, but Zucker's not the oldest guy. He's still, I guess he could still be considered to be in his prime. You know, he's still within the considerable range there. Um, and then last year they gave up the pick for Kasperi Kapanen, who is a young 24-year-old forward with term, um, still certainly has room to grow. And the most important thing there is you didn't give up anything on your immediate roster. So you're still giving yourself the chance to retool on the fly and win now. Whereas, you know, with this trade for the Capitals, they managed to give up the future asset at the first round pick. And they give up a similar player in Jacob Verona, which which really makes this kind of head-scratching because not only are they taking away from their future assets, but they're also trading a player off of their current roster who is still relatively young and coming into his own as a player and could help this core win for the next three, four, five years while they're still up and running. So that's where I think this trade could really come back to hurt the Capitals in the long run is the fact that they're not only trading future assets but they're also taking you know young pieces off of their roster and flipping them for essentially the same player i mean i i don't think mantha moves the needle that much for that team um whenever you look at what they gave up so i just wanted to bring that up real quick i mean you know penguins capitals have been really similar a lot of battles over the last couple of years trying to see which one can outlast the other but just in terms of stylistically i think the penguins had the right idea where they're giving up the future assets, um, you know, those first round picks aren't going to probably give you immediate impact for the next two to three years. You know, they're not going to see the NHL, especially where the Penguins pick between, you know, probably 20 to late 20s every year. So for them to be able to flip it into an asset like Kasperi Kapanen, I think that's what the Capitals needed to do. And they managed to not only give up the asset, but also a young player off of their roster. So I, I think this has massive ramifications for the Capitals. I could come back to really really set them back in the next couple of years if it doesn't work out i agree it could be something you know there's there's been trades in the past for teams who um you know i guess you could look at the red wings in their signings you know they they sign guys or they bring guys in just solely for the name out of desperation to kind of revitalize or continue whatever's happening and yeah it, it just doesn't make sense because like when they re-signed like Datsuk to that huge contract and then Zetterberg and then Darren Helm and all these guys that are still on the books, Franz Nielsen, they're like, they haven't played in like three years, but you're still paying them. They they've been in purgatory and like, that's something that could happen with the capitals. I mean, you're, you're giving up the future, trying to bring people in solely based on name. And it just doesn't make sense to me. Um, truthfully, in my eyes, this is more of a desperation trade. Um, it, it's to bring in a name. It's to, you know, I, I don't even know. It's hard to even say what they really did there because I think Vrana was an up, was a better player than what Mantha is at the very best. Mantha is a marginal upgrade over Vrana and that's like really stretching it. But yeah, I don't know. I, I don't like the deal. I like your point though about the penguins, you know, just, Rutherford had the right idea, and I think Hextall is kind of going to continue that in terms of protecting assets now, um, but also making the team younger um, and trying to continue to surround, you know, generational talents with the right players. So, um, you know, 
it's totally different in Washington where you're surrounding, you know, a winger with, you have to get the right centers for Ovechkin where with Crosby and Malkin, as long as you have wingers that can do something, they're going to make it happen. So yeah, I, I don't know. I don't like this trade all that much. I don't think it makes them any better. In fact, it might make them a little bit worse, but um, yeah, I mean, I'm happy to see Verona out of the division. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. certainly a bit of a plus. He seems to uh, score on us a lot. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's kind of a benefit to the Penguins in a way. But um, speaking of the Penguins, the last trade we're really going to dive into here, um, in my opinion, and this is trying to keep as much bias out of it as possible. One of the best trades, if not the best trade of the deadline, um, the Pens send two mid-round picks to the LA Kings for Jeff Carter. Um, the Penguins have like half their team on IR right now. Um, for those of you who haven't heard us talk about it, current situation, Malkin, Tanev, Kapanen, and uh, who else are we missing? Bluger just got back. He's been on IR. Zucker's back off IR. Um, but you got arguably two of your top six maybe top five forwards on IR and Brandon Tanev, who's not going to be back before the playoffs. So yeah, the, the pens were kind of hurting for some talent there. Um, Jeff Carter certainly fills the need in terms of a third center uh, or potentially a third wing to play with Jared McCann. Um, Yeah. I mean, at this point, I I think they gave up the right amount. Um, Now bear with me here. Um, the third round pick, which was the highest level given up, was conditional on becoming a second round pick if the Penguins make the Stanley Cup Finals this year and Jeff Carter plays in 50% of the playoff games. So more than likely, Jeff Carter would play in almost all of their playoff games, especially if they're making it that far. I would like to think he's probably got a hand in it. If they make the Cup Final, and especially if they win the Cup, a second round pick's no problem to pay. Um, that's exactly what you're doing at this point is you're trading assets to win now. Um, and the other pick given up was a fourth round pick conditional to become a third. If Jeff Carter plays in 50 games next year. So Jeff Carter was making $5.2 million, um, and LA ate half of it. So now the Penguins are paying him 2.6 this year and 2.6 next year. Um, pretty good deal in my opinion, even though he's going to be 37, he shoots the puck a lot. Um, his numbers were pretty good in LA, 19 points in 40 games. And his underlying numbers were, you know, league average, a little bit better. Um, but he was playing on a garbage team with some pretty bad wingers. Um, so maybe it helps coming here, putting him with Jason Zucker and potentially some other talent, but, um, Dante, what do you think? I think it's a good move. Um, obviously it's not like last year where, Things kind of felt a little bit forced, I think. And I know injuries played a lot into it last year, too. But um, in terms of the deadline from last year to this year, I feel much more um, confident that this trade will work out better for the Penguins. Um, Especially compared to, like, the Patrick Marlowe move. I know people have been kind of comparing the Carter move to the Marlowe move last year. Um, I I see why, but I, I think... Just based off of position, um, it's going to be a little bit different. And based off of what, you know, Carter's probably a little bit, he's a little bit younger than Marlowe was or is. So um, for the price, like you mentioned, it's definitely fair. Um, If you're going to go to the cup final or win the cup, giving up a second round pick is absolutely worth it. 
And then if he hangs around next year and, you know, helps the team win, then giving up the third round pick is not really that big of a deal either. Um, they didn't have to give up any of their assets. Not that they had much to give up, but they were able to keep, you know, they did pretty, what they said they were going to do. They weren't going to give up any of their top assets, uh, the top prospects, the Liga Ray, Pullins, uh, POJ, but also didn't give up um, much of the future in terms of draft picks either. Um, so uh, that was good. I, I think he's going to be a nice fit here in the bottom six. Um, I read something today that said he's all in, he's ready to go. So uh, you love to see that from the guy, especially someone that's spent a lot of time in one place like L.A. where, you know, you got to maybe question whether he's going to want to come here and play here and be open to change. But um, it seems like, you know, Hextall knows him very well. So um, it's, it seems like that's not going to be an issue. And <laughs> Berkey let it know on national TV today that they're they're not going to be, uh, you know, begging anyone to come play for us today. But uh, <laughs> that was an interesting quote. But. Um, I think it leaves the second line as a question mark. And, and I say this because I think ideally they want Carter to play right wing. So if he's going to play right wing, I, I think you have to put McCann at the third center and then put Zucker on the left wing because we've we've talked about a lot how Zucker and Malkin just don't mesh. So what do you do with that second line if you're going to put McCann to the third center? So, like I said, ideally I think they want him to play, they want Carter to play right wing, but I think the fact that they don't have another forward that I think could step into that second line right now and play, I think that's going to force McCann to play the left wing on that line, which, I mean, I'm not complaining that the trio was very good um, before they went down with injuries, but and we've seen McCann kind of grow a lot as a player and look as most consistently as he has since he's put on the Penguins uniform a couple years ago, now playing at the second line center. So and I, I can understand the argument for wanting to keep him where he's at right now at center, but I think, like I mentioned, that that opening there is going to force him to be bumped up to the second line. And then that leaves you with Jeff Carter and uh, Jason Zucker on the third line with the, the right wing spot being kind of open and then, rolling with your fourth line of Teddy Bluger, uh, Zach Aston Reese, and Brandon Tanev when he returns, which is going to be probably the best fourth line in all of hockey. And, and that's the most ideal scenario, I think, for the Penguins. And I've, we've been talking about it a lot, that when that line or when Teddy Bluger is your fourth line center and that line's just your fourth line, uh, that, that that's the ideal spot for them. You don't want them to be the third line. Ideally, you'd like them to be the fourth line on a contender team. So... I think it's going to be interesting to see how the lines shuffle up. Um, I also wouldn't count out seeing Carter play up with Malkin a little bit either. Um, I think the two might be an interesting style mix, but uh, what do you think? Yeah, I've definitely kind of had that thought about Malkin with Carter, or Carter with Malkin, but yeah, I don't know. That's such a weird, um, it's just a weird style mix because Carter's, you know, he's going to fit that, kind of just heavy, I don't know about heavy, but like kind of that Patrick Hornquist mold where he's going to just get to the front of the net a lot. He's going to shoot literally at any chance that he gets, which is good because Malkin clearly had no desire to shoot for the majority of this season until right before he got hurt. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and if he comes back and he wants to shoot all the time, then maybe peeping Kapanen on his wing is probably for the best. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I don't know. I think that Carter could certainly do good on Malkin's wing, you know, do good, do a lot of good on Malkin's wing. Um, 
based on the fact that he does play defense, he is a guy that will shoot first, and he's going to probably score a decent amount of goals playing with somebody like Malkin. Even if he's playing with Jared McCann, I think he's going to score a fair amount of goals. Um, I think that he still has the shot that made him so lethal for so long. Um, it's just a matter of, of really finding the right way to deploy him on the ice because, again, your your fourth line of, of Aston Reese, Bluger, and Tanev, if healthy – is as good as any fourth line in the league, if not better. Um, and then you look at a, a third line of, you know, Zucker, Carter, and, you know, whoever plays third right wing, you know, maybe Rodriguez. Rodriguez has been playing really well too. So, mm-hmm. you know, I wouldn't be upset with that. I personally would leave the McCann, Malkin, Kapanen trio together. You know, when healthy, everybody's back. I think that's probably your best second line. Um, and then obviously like the top line at this point, you know, kind of just is what it is. It's the best top line going at the moment besides Colorado. Um, I, I just truthfully think that Carter was such a good ad, you know, and, and if it doesn't work out, he didn't really give up that much either. So that's kind of the other side, you know, if it turns into, eh, it, it wasn't really the best fit. Okay. Well, now that he's not making five and a half million dollars, it's much easier to trade him as well as the fact that he very well may retire if it's not the right fit. So, um, there's really not a whole lot lost on this trade in my eyes. Yeah, I agree. And if he does in fact retire, something that I, I read about with some kind of, uh, you know, we, we kind of ripped on the salary cap, uh, the rules earlier today, but I saw there was a little, you know, interesting role there that if he does retire, that the Penguins get some kind of salary cap compensation. I think it was like 740 K or something like that. So Yep. Not only will they get the relief of his contract, but they'll also be able to add seven hundred forty thousand dollars to their cap, which is really interesting, really weird. I have to read up more about it, but um, so there's that benefit too. But yeah, I, I think he adds a little bit of everything that they were looking for. I mean, I know they want didn't really get too descriptive. It's been kind of a a polar opposite kind of approach here between Hextall, Burke, and, and Jim Rutherford, where leading up to the deadline, you pretty much know exactly who and what Jim uh, Rutherford wanted. And now, like, this came out of way, 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 way left field. Like, nobody in Pittsburgh was even close to reporting that yeah. um, the, the Penguins were in on Jeff Carter. And whenever there was mentioned that the Penguins did have trade talks with LA, it was um, with Iafalo. So it, Jeff Carter's name was never mentioned. Like the, this totally just came out of left field. So kudos to Hextall, I guess, for being able to, you know, keep things close to the chest. But um, that, that's something that I think kind of made a little bit more suspense to this deadline where I know Rutherford has been, he was always really open with what he was going to do and who he was going to try to get. And yeah, I, to, to go back to what I was saying, I think he adds a little bit of what they were saying. I know they were being a little bit bland with that, but bigger forward, center, can play right wing, bottom six. Fits pretty much everything that Hextall has been telling us for what little he has for the last month or ever since him and Burke have taken over. So um, he's not the grittiest forward, I guess, but I, I did not realize that he was six foot three. Like, I, I didn't realize he was that big. And I know back in Philly, I remember watching him back in Philly whenever – Penguins to play them in the playoffs, and I, I honestly had no idea that's how big he was. So, um, yep. he adds size, he adds a little bit of grit. I wouldn't say too much. Um, the scoring touch, like you mentioned, obviously leadership. He has a lot, you know, he's experienced. He's won two cups in LA. 
Um, it, it gives you a little bit of everything, and the cost was just right, and you know the cap hit's not going to be an issue. So I, I agree. I think I think it's a uh, a a plus move. Yeah, I agree. I I would give it you know a solid A A plus. I think it's the right fit. Um, you know, and, it, and like you said, way out of left field. I I never would have thought Jeff Carter would be a Pittsburgh Penguin, but um, I'm happy with it. I think it's going to be you know, really good. It's going to allow them to roll, you know, four solid lines and have three lines that are pretty much, you know, as good as anybody can roll out. So, um, you know, in terms of trade deadline, that's really the the biggest stuff that kind of was happening. Um, there were obviously some depth moves, some smaller moves that were made, um, but we're not going to, you know, get into those, waste too much time there. Um, and like we mentioned, in terms of the status of the Penguins, just a quick update, still some injuries going on. Uh, just won two games against the Devils. Um, you know, came off a couple of really, really bad games last week. Um, giving up 15 goals in two games, but have really rallied back and played a lot better. Um, you know, I think that they have the next three days off. They play Tuesday, so they got you know today, Tuesday, Wednesday. Or they play Thursday. Sorry, they get today, Tuesday, Wednesday off, and uh, I think it's going to benefit them. Uh, Malkin is skating. Kapanen is not. Um, but I think this team is definitely trending in the right direction. They're playing simple. Um, and I guess we need to, you know, give Chris Letang our apologies for how much we ragged on him for <laughs> four weeks. Um, he's been as good as any defenseman in the league. Uh, yep. He's, I think he's what fourth in the league in defenseman scoring now. Um, I think he's tied for tied for fourth or something in points as a defenseman since uh, like March 1st. He's been, you know, incredible. Um, everything we've always kind of needed him to be, but he never really did. So, um, yeah, anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I mean, they just, they're totally bought in, and, and Latang included. So, when Malkin comes back, I think it's going to be interesting to see how he reacts. You know, are we going to see Malkin from earlier on in the season? Or are we going to see the Malkin that, you know, kind of came on there before he got injured? Is he going to buy into kind of what the teams playing right now and ultimately obviously Mike Sullivan has has had a big impact on the team and how they're playing but I think ultimately it just comes back to the captain I mean just him leading setting the tone by example I I, I think this team is totally taken you know his persona his style um you know grinding games out playing simple playing the right way he's really taking the team on his back putting them on his back really um trying to get them to play the right way. And you've even seen, like we've met, you've mentioned a guy that we've kind of criticized a lot earlier on in the season, but Chris Letang, get him to buy in, I think is absolutely huge. And it's great to see he's having a great year. And, you know, you just hope that whenever guys get healthy, they can keep the train going. Whereas last year, things really, really fell apart um, when we got guys back. So, and then, with the two games that they lost, I, I think that was kind of expected. Um, the Boston win or the Boston game seven five. I, I think honestly that game was winnable. That that was just a crazy game. Um, probably won't see anything like that again. Um, for a bit, but um, you know, I think that was winnable. The Rangers blowout. I know we texted each other and I said, bro, we just got Phillied. So, <laughs> um, we kind of yep. deserve that one for, <laughs> for all the crap we gave Philly for those blowout losses. But, um, I, I think a couple losses like that were expected. It's obviously uncharacteristic to give up 15 goals in those two games, but, um, I, I think it's even, um, 
you know, I think it's more significant that we saw a response where they just, they, you know, they bounced back after that too, instead of just letting things kind of just completely fall, the, letting all the wheels completely fall off. So, um, teams definitely tried in the right direction. I think Carter's going to be a good ad. We'll see. He'll get to make his debut against his old team against the Flyers on Thursday. So that'll be something to look forward to. And, uh, yeah, I am looking forward to seeing, you know, just exactly how they head here going into the playoffs and if they can challenge for the number one spot in the division. If they can get home ice in round one, that'd be huge. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you want to finish with that one or two seed, certainly. Um, and I think that they're in a position now to do so uh, with their remaining schedule. You know, a lot of games against the Devils and the Sabres, as opposed to everybody else, they're kind of going to, you know, beat up on each other for the rest of the way. So, yeah. Um, that pretty much does it for me for this episode. Um, if there's anything else you want to add, feel free to uh, to add it now. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think was it 11 of the last 14 games are against teams not in the playoff spot right now. So, um, looking pretty good here for the last month. Let's, let's just hope that they can keep things going. Yep, absolutely. And uh, there's a lot to look forward to. And then we'll have some playoff talk coming up, but we'll see you guys here uh, in the next week or so. See you guys.